I just read a headline on social media. Now is the time to trade for Laquan Treadwell. And I disagree with that position. I disagree with that position because Laquan Treadwell is over in Minnesota. It's never going to happen for him in Minnesota because Minnesota now has the best wide receiver duo in the NFL. Go down the list of rosters across the NFL. You are not going to find a better duo than Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. Because for you to buy Laquan Treadwell, you have to necessarily believe that either Stephon Diggs or Adam Thielen is not for real, that Laquan Treadwell has the potential to supplant either one of those players and become a starting wide receiver. Otherwise, you're trading for a number three option in Minnesota. Minnesota wants to be a running team. They have one of the top five run-blocking units. I mean, it's been an amazing turnaround story for the Minnesota Vikings to go from the number 32-ranked offensive line in 2016 to the number four-ranked run-blocking unit in 2017. And you can go to playerprofiler.com. Go to Jerick McKinnon's page. Go to Dalvin Cook's page. You can see run-blocking efficiency. It looks at yards blocked per carry and adds a bonus discount factor for any stuffed runs. So if the run play is getting blown up in the backfield or the running back is stuffed at the line of scrimmage, we punish the offensive line for those plays above and beyond merely giving them a zero for yards blocked. That's our run-blocking efficiency grade. There are a lot more complex formulas out there for calculating run-blocking efficiency, but it's a simple and elegant metric, and I love it. And when you go to data analysis, playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis, and you scroll through all the team run-blocking efficiency grades, you see that the metric is intuitive. It aligns with common sense. Makes perfect sense that the number one team in our run blocking efficiency grade is the Kansas City Chiefs. It must be nice for Kareem Hunt to land in a situation where he's running behind an efficient offense and the best run blocking unit. Same thing for Dalvin Cook. I mean, how jealous is Leonard Fournette of Dalvin Cook and Kareem Hunt? He's like, oh, those could be my carries. Those could be my touchdowns. Those could be my efficiency metrics on playerprofiler.com. Instead, Leonard Fournette is merely a touchdown-dependent fantasy asset. If he scores, and he's scored in three consecutive weeks, he's usable in fantasy. He's a top-10 running back. But when he doesn't score, he's posting 66 yards per game on 3.5 yards per carry and 4.1 yards per touch. And he only has one breakaway run all season. And this is Leonard Fournette. This is not a breakaway runner. He has 12 red zone touches already, six goal line carries. We've also added goal line carries to playerprofiler.com. Six for Leonard Fournette already this season. So throughout this season, I will be laying out many of the new metrics we've added. We have added over 50 metrics to playerprofiler.com. Some of them only available through data analysis, but most of them are on the player pages. As we seek to bring the metrics to the people. And when you go to Adam Thielen's page on playerprofiler.com, you see, oh, 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 okay. He's really good. I mean, he's exceptional. This is why College Dominator matters. 45.9% 90th percentile college dominator Adam Thielen best comparable to Eric Decker. Why? 12.5 yards per target, number 7 in the NFL. 79% catch rate, number 9 in the NFL. His catch rate last year? Ha! <laughs> 75%. So, Adam Thielen has the highest catch rate from 2016 to 2017 among any NFL wide receiver, and that's his signature trait. Great hands. 
Great hands matter. He's leading the league in completed air yards, 240. 10 completed air yards per target. Now that is efficient. There's no possible way that Laquan Treadwell can compete with Adam Thielen in on-field NFL efficiency. His ceiling is number three receiver for the next three years. That's not a player you trade for in Dynasty. Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs aren't going anywhere, and the Minnesota Vikings are not suddenly going to become the Green Bay Packers supporting three fantasy viable wide receivers on a weekly basis. That's not going to happen. When you look at the Vikings offense and you examine their incumbent receivers, the thesis for trading for Laquan Treadwell completely falls apart. I get it. Stephon Diggs was a fifth round pick. No draft capital. The dynasty guys love draft capital. No draft capital for Stephon Diggs. Less for Adam Thielen. He was an undrafted free agent and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's a great football player and he has persevered. He's shown great fortitude. And if that is your path, an exceptionally challenging path to reach the height of your profession, you're more likely to stay there. Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen are more likely to stay on top of the wide receiver position for the next few years because of the path they took. It was a more difficult path than Amari Cooper's path. Why do you think Antonio Brown has been at the top of the league for so many years? Because the path to greatness for him hardened him. Antonio Brown was forged. He made it to where he is today through pure tenacity and drive and willpower. Those qualities are not easily extinguished in the face of adversity because every wide receiver faces adversity in the NFL. So Diggs and Thielen are going nowhere, nowhere. The idea that they will just evaporate, that these were flash-in-the-pan players, doesn't hold up, doesn't hold up to the metrics. In fact, the way you can capitalize on the metrics available on playerprofiler.com is to go to No Halftime, set up an account, just search No Halftime in your app store, or go to nohalftime.com, get the app, and No Halftime allows you to create single-player challenges. You can challenge friends and strangers to any contest involving Adam Thielen. Pit Adam Thielen against other receivers that the public may think are more talented, but they're not. That's what I would do. And when you go to nohalftime.com and you sign up, use their promo code UNDERWORLD and get an instant 50% bonus of up to $50 on your first deposit. Now, go to Stefan Diggs' page on playerprofiler.com. Oh my word. We just need to celebrate this. We need to celebrate a player who's six foot 195. A lot of you in this audience are six foot 195. He's fast. Didn't have great burst, didn't have great agility, small catch radius, but it doesn't matter. He goes up in traffic, in contested situations, and he comes down with a football every time. Number one in contested catch conversion rate on playerprofiler.com. I mean, he's top 20 in every metric I'm looking at here. Yards per route, yards per target, target premium, production premium. The quarterback rating when targeted for Stephon Diggs, 147.2. Dominator rating. We now have dominator rating for professional wide receivers, not just college dominator rating. Stephon Diggs, 49.9%, number two in the league. Look at the target separation efficiency metric we have now. Two yards of separation on every target. So whenever he's targeted, he has gained two yards of separation between himself and the assigned defensive back. <laughs> what? That's great! Because he's a technician who's also very fast. And like Thielen, has incredible hands and a willingness 
to challenge defenders in traffic and in contested situations, and he simply has a knack for coming down with the football. So when you take a guy with speed and you give him that je ne sais quoi factor, and then you give him great tenacity, that's how you get some combination of Antonio Brown and Julio Jones. Because Antonio Brown's not fast. You can't hide from your 40 time. Stephon Diggs is fast. So however you want to think of it, little Julio Jones, fast, Antonio Brown, that's who Stephon Diggs is. And when Stephon Diggs goes up against a cover corner, it doesn't matter. That's why the wide receiver cornerback matchup data always requires the fantasy analyst, the fantasy gamer to be discerning. And we have that data now. When you go to our seasonal rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings, there's a cornerbacks tab under seasonal. You can see the wide receiver that he's aligned with on the depth chart. I'm not saying he's definitely going to cover that player 60% of the snaps. Nobody knows any of that. They can give you right and left corner. They can give you tendencies. They don't know what the game plan is. You don't know how many snaps that Xavier Rhodes will match up against Golden Tate. We're guessing. So what we do is we say, based on snap share and publicly available depth chart information, Darius Slay is aligned with Stephon Diggs. I have no idea how many snaps Darius Slay will cover Stephon Diggs. Well, actually, I do. Zero. Because even when he's assigned Stephon Diggs, he can't actually cover Stephon Diggs. He won't be shadowing, in quotes, Stephon Diggs. I mean, he can try to shadow him. He can try to cover him. But he's not going to be successful. Because no cornerback in the league, even Stephon Diggs' teammate, Xavier Rhodes, can cover him on any given snap. Oh, no. That's the beauty of Stephon Diggs, the matchup-proof wide receiver. And when you look at our cornerback rankings, you'll notice, oh, wow, okay, interesting. Xavier Rhodes, not in the top five. How is that possible? Well, the advanced efficiency metrics don't believe Xavier Rhodes is a top five cornerback. Now, I understand he held Michael Thomas to 45 yards, Mike Evans to 67 yards, and Antonio Brown to 62 yards. But if you give Xavier Rhodes 100% credit for those lackluster performances by fantasy WR1s, then you're conflating some cause and effect. Certainly Xavier Rhodes is partly responsible, but not totally responsible. On any given game in the NFL, a wide receiver's production can be throttled by game plan, by quarterback accuracy, many factors. They only get a handful of opportunities in every game to make plays. If a couple passes in which the wide receiver was open flutter over their head, that makes all the difference between a breakout game and a lackluster game. We have Xavier Rhodes at 11. He's allowing 10.5 fantasy points per game outside the top 40 among cornerbacks. Brent Grimes is playing better. Chris Harris is playing better. Josh Norman's playing better. A.J. Boye's playing better. Jimmy Smith's playing better. Janoris Jenkins has been playing better. And of course, of course, Jalen Ramsey's playing better. <laughs> Jalen Ramsey is only allowing 5.3 fantasy points per game to opposing wide receivers. Now, why is Xavier Rhodes so high? Because you have to look at the wide receivers he's been covering. He's been matching up with elite wide receivers and not allowing them to score fantasy points as they're accustomed to. So he's in the top 12 for sure, but he's not number one. That's Jalen Ramsey. So get out of here, NFL.com, claiming that Xavier Rhodes is the number one cornerback in the NFL. He's not. Now, because of his size, he and Jalen Ramsey are in the conversation to become the NFL's next Darrell Revis, and I'm going to be monitoring Xavier Rhodes and Jalen Ramsey very closely in the coming weeks because I think these two players are the NFL's next evolution cover corner. 
It's exciting. But we talked to Davis Maddock a couple days ago, and he said you may want to consider starting Golden Tate, particularly in GPPs, as a contrarian play. And it's actually not that contrarian because on plays in which Xavier Rhodes will not be covering Golden Tate, Golden Tate will be covered by some of the worst cornerbacks in the NFL. So you can see there's Xavier Rhodes in the top 12. All roads closed. To find the next Minnesota cornerback, you have to keep scrolling and 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 scrolling until you get to Terrence Newman at 67 and Trey Waynes at 68. These players both have highly negative coverage ratings on playerprofiler.com. So we have cornerback pages. Now three tables of metrics on our cornerback pages. They're super informative. And the coverage rating looks at the percent of pass plays in which a cornerback is targeted, looks at how frequently they're breaking up targets, and how frequently wide receivers are catching the ball against that cornerback, and how many yards those wide receivers are accruing on a per-target basis against that cornerback. So it's a roll-up metric where we look at numerous coverage-specific metrics and generate one overall rating for that corner, a coverage rating. Now, Xavier Rhodes' coverage rating is not impressive, but once he starts feasting on, but once he starts eliminating lesser wide receivers from the game plan, shutting them down completely in games where he's not matched up against Antonio Brown and Mike Evans, you will start to see Xavier Rhodes' coverage rating start to climb and climb, and then his ranking on playerprofiler.com will climb into the top 10. Book it. So start Golden Tate this week, because when Matthew Stafford's under center and he looks over and he sees Golden Tate lined up against Trey Waynes, the ball's going to Golden Tate. And for that reason, we also have Eric Ebron in the top 10, because Matthew Stafford is going to funnel targets to the middle of the field to avoid Xavier Rhodes on the outside. And I just want NFL coaches to put the result of the game in the hands of the player. It was heartbreaking last week watching Marvin Lewis and Bill O'Brien. I don't know how there's not a mutiny in NFL locker rooms when a Marvin Lewis and a Bill O'Brien kick field goals on fourth and one and fourth and two when underdog teams facing Goliath quarterbacks have an opportunity to put the game away with a touchdown going away near the end of the game, and the coach says, no, no. I know the fans want this. I know the players want this. I know win probability suggests I should go for it, but I might get a question or two after the game if we go for it, and it fails. And a reporter from a blog or a newspaper may question that decision after the game. No! No, Marvin! No, Bill! No! No! Oh, you can't let that happen. That sounds terrifying. Facing a reporter's question from a podium where you have a microphone and they don't? Where they question your play-calling judgment? They question you giving your players the opportunity to salt away a season-defining victory? They're questioning your faith in your player's ability to gain one or two yards on any given play? Yeah, yeah, those are tough questions that I would never want to have to answer for. Never. Just terrifying. Because that's all you need to say. So let me help you, cowardly NFL coaches, who ask your players to play injured and to rise above 
human pain thresholds, exceeding the limits of the human body, that's what you ask of your players, but then you yourselves cower in the face of adversity and send out the kicking team. It's just stunning that it's not stunning. It's shocking that it's not shocking that an NFL coach would actively act against the best interests of their team, gripped by this perverse risk aversion in a game of real estate acquisition where players are climbing over each other and smashing each other's brains to get a yard. You're worried about the press conference that's happening in an hour and the bloggers asking questions. It's just bizarre that we're here watching this farce, field goal farce at the end of games. And if you're worried about the questions the blogger is going to ask, call me. Call me Marvin. Call me Bill. I'll explain win probability so you can tell the scary blogger that you went for it because math. Or you can say you went for it because you believe in your players. So it's both quantitative and qualitative. You have both reasons covered, Bill and Marvin. You're instilling morale and you're following win probability guidelines. <laughs> it is like, not enough! <laughs> I mean, even with those two virtues in their back pockets, NFL coaches refuse to show leadership. It is just disheartening. And speaking of disheartening, just as I was getting excited to talk about all of these new fields we're adding to playerprofiler.com, inform you, the audience, all these new metrics free on playerprofiler.com. After six months of work behind the scenes to build a team that could chart these games, develop these metrics, and then deliver them to the public, just as I am thrilled with anticipation to share these enhancements with you, tweets start appearing in my mentions earlier this week. And it all started with Graham Barfield from Fantasy Guru. Hey guys, I'm very generous with yards created. That's how he kicks off the tweet. And I'm thrilled it's caught on. But please, at least give me some credit. He tweets again, really? I don't ever do this, but blatantly taking my idea and not giving me credit is poor form, Matt. Mentioning the at fantasy underscore mansion Twitter handle. He goes on. Really, Matt? I don't ever do this. But to blatantly take my idea and not give any credit is poor form. Graham Barfield, of course, is talking about yards created. Yards created are total yards minus yards blocked. Yards created. Admittedly, not the most innovative of metrics on playerprofiler.com. <laughs> And because it's not a sophisticated metric, I didn't give it much thought. I haven't tweeted about it or talked about it on the show. We had yards after contact last year, but it was brought to our attention that yards after contact is a misnomer because sometimes a running back creates yards or generates yards after evading a tackle in which he wasn't touched. So for that reason, we threw out yards after contact and we said we need to come up with a new name. Unfortunately for us, Graham Barfield had written an article called Yards Created about something called Yards Created. Not a revolutionary concept, but about the same concept, nonetheless. And when deciding on the label for this particular metric, it came down to Yards Created or Yards Generated, and we went with Yards Created because it was more aesthetically pleasing. Yards Generated just didn't resonate the way Yards Created does. We went through the dictionary, as we do with most of our metrics. We're very meticulous about labeling our statistics. 
We're also very meticulous about referencing when and where these statistics were first shared with the public. We have a terms glossary that's about as comprehensive as any terms glossary I've ever seen in sports media. Take a lot of pride in that terms glossary, and it doesn't get a lot of credit. I mean, the poor terms glossary, right? You can see the terms glossary going, Oh, guys, I wish someone would visit me. We've got a lot of interesting information here. This terms glossary took us countless hours to compile, where we have hyperlinks to work from Frank DuPont slash Fantasy Douche, Sean Siegel, Rich Rebar, Scott Smith, Bill Barnwell, and like 10 other fantasy analysts. No one ever talks about me on social media unless they're mad at me. And that way the terms glossary is like a kicker, right? The kicker receives no accolades unless he misses. So when Scott Norwood misses the field goal, at that moment, everyone knows Scott Norwood's name. Before that, very few people knew about Scott Norwood. And that, unfortunately, is the fate of our poor terms glossary. We're going a million miles, and we have been working overtime just to get the stats right, get the metrics right. And then later, go back to the terms glossary, make sure everything is notated and links to original work are provided. Well, Graham Barfield stumbled upon that terms glossary before we had a chance to update it. And instead of just DMing me and saying, hey, buddy, can you add a link to this article to your terms glossary describing yards created? And of course, I would have said, sure, actually, we plan to do that in October once things settle down. Look at our terms glossary. Clearly, we take the citation of original work very seriously. I mean, obviously. But no, 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 no. Because the other option is freak out and imply that Fantasy Mansion is an idea thief on social media. That's the other option. You have two options there. The calm and reasonable option or the freak out option. And Graham Barfield chose B, as a lot of people do. I get it. I understand where this comes from. We should have added all the new metrics to the terms glossary in week one. We didn't. We failed. We need to do a better job. Hashtag priorities. I'm sorry. And I said this to Graham Barfield over a direct message. I said, I'm sorry, man. We're going to update the terms glossary soon. Hashtag chill. But you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. That genie does not want to go back in the bottle. Once you post a message on social media, calling another analyst a fraud or a thief, every individual on social media who is predisposed to not like that person is going to chime in. Oh, multiple tweets lecturing the target of the vitriol on the importance of citations in the field of statistics. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. All the professors on social media just eager to pounce the moment Matt Kelly's called out. And of course, what am I doing? Nothing. Just sitting back and laughing, laughing at the spectacle. Also, empathizing with Graham Barfield. You would think, my first instinct, frontal assault on Graham Barfield. Not really. I like Graham Barfield. I respect Graham Barfield. Graham Barfield does great work. I still consider Graham Barfield a friend. I think this was a misunderstanding. And I think that we all get emotional if we feel that our signature work in our profession, in our industry, is threatened. When attacked, human beings have a fight or flight impulse. It's not a fight or chill and be reasonable over DM or flight. It's just fight or flight. And social media makes it very easy to fight. So I understand how that becomes the first instinct. It's not my first instinct. I don't beef on social media. I beef on podcasts. So you're not going to see Twitter beefs. You will see iTunes beefs. 
And you can call this a beef if you want, but I don't hold a grudge against Graham Barfield. I follow him. I will continue to follow him. I hope he continues to follow me. I will continue to consume his work and enjoy it. Even though North Korea would have considered Graham Barfield's tweets an act of war. And the whole spectacle did enrage me, but I couldn't summon the anger at Graham Barfield because I empathize with his position. I do not empathize with those that are predisposed to criticize myself and player profiler from a perch of ignorance. Those that are unfamiliar with our work simply chiming in, piling on, and calling what we do at playerprofiler.com shameful. That's what I object to. The uninformed shamers. Those are who I object to. If I have one complaint that I would lob at Graham Barfield, it's why didn't he take the tweets down, delete the tweets, once it's clear that credit was coming to the terms glossary in due time. And I apologized. I also gave him my phone number and said, we can talk over Skype or over the phone. Let's do this man-to-man. Let's do this face-to-face. He said, no, thanks. We'll handle this over DM, which is a lesser medium for such interactions, but fine. I genuinely apologized, added a link to his article in our terms glossary from the Fantasy Game Theory blog. The piece is titled Introduction to Yards Created. And yet he still didn't take the tweet down. That made me cynical, made me wonder what's really going on. Almost like there are darker forces at play. Almost as if there's a larger, more audacious effort to discredit our work at Player Profiler and Roto Underworld. And I will defend the credibility of our work to the death and challenge any implication that we have copied data from other sites because that's flat wrong. I think that's where Graham Barfield's original outrage emanated from. I think his reflex response conclusion was, oh, they must be logging into Fantasy Guru, copy and pasting my yards created data and posting it on playerprofiler.com. No such thing happened. That's why you need to sleep on things like that. That's why posting Twitter messages when you are upset and emotional is a mistake. And it wasn't until I slept on it that I realized that I pieced together how he came to be so upset. But I did not lash back out. Why? Because I'm secure in knowing that what we're doing at playerprofiler.com, creating stats and providing opportunities to literally hundreds of people over the last four years is virtuous, has value, that we're doing good work. And it's not just me. It's Alexi who's documenting all the injuries. It's Craig Wambold who's in charge of depth charts. It's Nick Coder who's our czar of data. It's Eric McClung who's charting games and hosting The Big Tilts. My favorite DFS podcast of all time, The Big Tilt. Also the only one I ever listened to. So take that with a grain of salt. And not only is Eric McClung charting games on every play, writing down how many yards were created after the running back's first evaded tackle. Doing the hard work that most fantasy websites will not do. The work the scrapers will not do, we are doing behind the scenes. It's Phil Millspaw. It's Tony Federici, it's Michael Lunn, it's Matt Armstrong, it's Christine East, it's Daniel Huckle, it's Cody Wilhelm, it's Luke Schechschulte, it's Quinn Kaiser, it's Thomas Smith, it's Reed DeSalvo, it's Othman Chebley, it's Connor O'Brien and Felix Guo, it's Zach Kruger, Corey Alexander, our game analyst MVP, 
It's Sahil Mehta. It's Aaron Butler. It's Matthew Simpson. It's Jordan Scott. It's Greg Lunt. It's Mike Fitkowski. It's Mike Medeiros. It's Matthew Dwyer and Dan Bosak. Craig Guerin. Kevin Jeck. Chris Burgum. Barry Smith. Austin Scepter, Ashton Pond, Christopher Traub, Joe Owens, Josh Frazen, Ryan Bone, William Franger, Dylan Josephson, Kyle Caraba, Adam Barton, Scott Close, Ethan Cody, and Michael Goenka. Appreciate that, Michael. Easy name to pronounce to close it out. But that's how those metrics get created and then posted to playerprofiler.com. That's what Yards Created is. Yards Created are those people watching the games, writing down every yard created. It's not scraped from anywhere. And I'm offended by that implication because it offends those people and the work they're doing. And it's unacceptable. But there's one group of people out there I know appreciate what we're doing. The patrons of this show. The patron community is over 500 strong now. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. I checked the Patreon homepage and I saw 500 plus patrons. I was stunned. My head has been down. We've been working tirelessly every day for months to get Player Profiler where it is now. Including an updated terms glossary, Graham. You're welcome. I hadn't realized how many true supporters of our operation are out there saying, here's my money. Go out there and disrupt this industry. Do something special. And if you want to disrupt, if you want to go out and do something special, you have a couple options. You can help to fund this operation on Patreon. Go to patreon.com, search podfather, and join this community. Get a Roto Underworld hoodie for the fall in the process as well as an additional show every week. Or you can join our game analyst team. We're always looking to add individuals because there's so many observations that need to be documented on football fields, and we still don't have enough people. The individuals I listed are still working harder than they should to deliver this data to you. So email me, rotounderworld at gmail.com, if you're interested in joining us. And sticking a middle finger up at everyone questions our intentions, our integrity, and our methods. Lecturing me from a perch of ignorance, totally unfamiliar with what we do and what we're all about. I'm proud of what we've built, and I know that we're on the right track because those in the status quo, the preachers ready to pounce on myself in this operation, they're getting agitated. They just took Graham Barfield's tweet at face value, never visited our terms glossary, never have, never will, and made sure everyone in their audience knows that Roto Underworld should be ashamed. Yeah, ashamed. No. 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 Mm, well, well, actually, mm, let me think. Should we? No. If your dad's fantasy sites are not bothered by what we're doing, then we're simply not being disruptive enough. But that's what a disruptive force is. It's become this safe, cliche technology buzzword. Be a disruptor. Disrupt. Be a disruptor. It's lost all of its meaning. When you actually look up disruptor in the dictionary, and as I've mentioned, I've done a lot of work in dictionaries, finding the right words to describe the right terms, disruption implies pain. And if we're not inflicting pain on the status quo, we're not doing enough. We are a threat to anyone who is overcharging the public for statistics. That's a fact. But that isn't real pain. That's, that's fake sports media pain. I've seen what real painful disruption looks like. 
I'm proud of what we're doing and our ability to change this entire industry. But at the same time, I also realize that this is not actually an impactful disruption. We can't initiate an impactful disruption in this particular industry because it doesn't matter enough. It's sports. And beyond that, it's fantasy sports. It is a game that is a proxy for yet another game and therefore cannot be taken seriously and can never inflict significant pain on anyone. And anyone who claims that fantasy sports inflicted significant pain on them just needs to live longer. And eventually they'll have some perspective and eventually learn what real pain looks like. Because the feeling you get when a stat label that you claimed as your own shows up on another website doesn't compare to losing your livelihood because business models and economies evolve. Because I've seen that. I grew up in a mill town in rural Maine and that mill closed. And that town went from being one of the most prosperous towns in the state to one of the least prosperous. And it happened during my childhood. That's real pain. That's real economic disruption. That's innovation and global access to labor causing real pain. People close to me, their fathers committing suicide. That happened. Not over a fucking statistic on a website. So this social media yards created fiasco is not a big deal. Because I have lived and I have seen things, I have the perspective to watch activity on social media and not overreact. But the whole experience has been enlightening for me. It brings to bear some interesting questions. Why do fantasy analysts feel a proprietary attachment to stats that they've written about? Stats cannot be patented, copywritten. Why? Because they do not pass the litmus test for non-obviousness. That's what the Patent and Trademark Office calls it. That's how our society defines intellectual property. Does it meet a threshold of obviousness? And football stats don't enter that realm. No one knows who created yards per carry. Why? Because it's not that innovative. It's pretty obvious. Just like yards created. Pretty obvious. It's understandable why my first impulse wasn't to run to the terms glossary and write a multi-paragraph explanation of something called yards created. And yet here we are, feuding over whether player profiler calls this stat yards generated or yards created. You think this happened during the French Renaissance? Were there feuds between Impressionist painters? Aw, oh, Monet, you didn't. You didn't. Claude! Claude! Oh, I'm gonna write a nasty message and, and post it on the town bulletin board, Claude. This is really low, Claude. I do haystacks! Haystacks are my thing! Now you're doing haystacks? You can't do haystacks, I do haystacks! You can imagine Surratt, right? Pointillism? I invented pointillism! You just poke the canvas with your paintbrush and you create an image with dots of paint. That's my thing. There are now a hundred pointillist painters in France. That should not be allowed. I'm Surratt! I'm the pointillism guy! Did those conversations happen? I don't know. My guess is... If an Impressionist painter spent all his time worrying about who was leveraging his techniques or painting about his subject matter, that his work would suffer. That he wouldn't end up becoming a master of his craft. 
a world-famous artist. That's not going to happen. You see the same thing in comedy. Think about Louis C.K. Comedians lift Louis C.K.'s joke premises every day in comedy clubs around the country. Does Louis C.K. care about this? He doesn't. Why? Because he's on to the next idea. He's perpetually creating. He's an obsessive, compulsive creator. Whether or not Comedian X is leveraging one of his premises never crosses Louis C.K.'s mind. He writes his jokes, he puts together an hour set, does it for a year, and throws it in the garbage, and writes new jokes for his next hour the following year. He's on to the next joke. Go ahead and use one of his joke premises. He's on to the next thing. He's constantly creating, and that makes him one of the greats. If he was constantly going on Twitter, identifying comedians who are leveraging his joke premise, he wouldn't be Louis C.K. He's too busy creating to get mad online. If your reflex impulse is to go to social media to defend your ownership of subject matter, premise, statistic, then you're insecure in your ability to create. You're holding on to last year's innovation, and that's just not what the great ones do. Saw an interesting 30 for 30 on fantasy baseball. And the Roto guys that created the name Rotisserie Baseball regretted claiming ownership of the term Rotisserie because sports media sites and magazines simply co-opted the concept and started using the term fantasy. And the guys that went out and got a copyright on the term Rotisserie were marginalized and forgotten about. And it's one of their great regrets was holding on to the proprietary nature of the label they created for the concept instead of evangelizing the concept broadly and becoming thought leaders in the industry. They missed that opportunity because they were clinging to ownership of a label. And we don't do that at playerprofiler.com. We do not cling to ownership of labels. We try our best to create unique and descriptive labels for all of our advanced metrics. And then we spend considerable time laying those metrics out in a way on our player pages where we now feel like our player pages are works of art. The art that we are doing at playerprofiler.com and Roto Underworld, it's the layout of our player pages. Those are our masterpieces. Anyone can go to our website and stripe it, but they can't reinvent the aesthetics of our player pages. That's our intellectual property. And Yards Created is called Yards Created on PlayerProfiler.com because of aesthetics. It has nothing to do with Graham Barfield. That's what I find amusing about this whole exchange. It was all about aesthetics. We had a choice. Yards Created or Yards Generated. Yards Created was shorter. And Yards Created fit on mobile without shortening and truncating the label. If we went with Generated on mobile, it would have read Yards Gen. That was the deciding factor. <laughs> Right? I mean, all of this comes down to gen versus generated. Think about that. Then think about how silly this entire social media spectacle has been over yards created, yards generated, yards gen, whatever. And when we finally decided on yards created, I did make the connection to Graham Barfield. Oh, absolutely. That connection point was made in my head and I had every intention of updating our terms glossary eventually. I've just been a little busy. And that's what I told Graham. And he said he appreciated the sentiment and he told me to take it easy. So we've ended this on good terms. I'm not interested in carrying this discussion on after today because for me, there is no beef. What I find interesting is the psychology of the individual who demands credit. 
Remember, Sean Siegel never demanded credit from Jack Delaney when Jack Delaney ripped off Zero RB, wrote a book about it, and pawned it off as his own idea. Sean Siegel wanted no part of my confrontation with Jack Delaney on this show. Didn't care. Just wanted his idea to propagate. Was not interested in staking a claim to the term Zero RB and peeing on Jack Delaney's book just out of some insecure sense of ownership. I've always respected Sean Siegel after that because that's the right way to go. And at Player Profiler, we're doing it the right way. We're building our tools from scratch and collecting our data from scratch. Just like Rotoviz and RotoWorld are writing in-depth articles from scratch. They're secure in their position. So they don't need to lash out and get defensive from a place of insecurity when one of their article premises, like, for example, a study of the top 36 running backs and why it's, quote unquote, time to go shopping for wide receivers, which shows up under a Nick Giffen byline on Rotoviz and then shows up under a Graham Barfield byline later on a different website. Nick Giffen never said a word about that because he's on to the next article premise. And it's maddening that an individual would go to our terms glossary and see that we've cited 20 authors in our terms glossary and think that this was the time, that this time, this one time, we would refuse to cite the author that first used that term in print. I mean, run that thought experiment. You really think that was the time yards created? That was the stat where I sat back and said, nah, nah, I'm not going to link to Graham Barfield's article. Fuck Graham Barfield. Was that my thought process? Of course not. The more plausible explanation is that we have yet to update our terms glossary given everything we've been doing to improve player profiler. That rolling out all these enhancements for the fall, the new stats, the data analysis updates, that that's been all consuming and that we would update the terms glossary once we had an opportunity to catch our breath. Now that sounds plausible, but let me be clear. We do not link to the work of others to benefit the author of those articles. No, we know you can't patent or copyright stats. We're not obliged to link to anyone's first mention of a particular statistic. We do it as a courtesy to our audience, to our users, those that are curious and want to read more about a particular statistic. That's the reason why it's in the terms glossary. It's not to satiate anyone's ego in this business. And all we had to do to avoid this week's social media firestorm, because it seems like every week there's a new social media firestorm, to avoid the Twitter mob this week, all we needed to do was go with the word generated instead of the word created, and no one would care. Think about what a waste of human capital and brain power that is. But here I am, and I've been talking in front of this microphone for over an hour because of it. But the conversation does eventually lead to an interesting question an existential question. Should we be surfacing metrics that someone else discussed in an article one time? What is our mission? And is that mission ethical? Because every stat was invented by someone. And if we can't find the person who invented yards per carry, and we can't cite them in our terms glossary, should we include it on playerprofiler.com? That's a serious question. My guiding philosophy, my moral code says the following. If I can add value to the public without infringing on intellectual property rights, then it's probably worth doing. If you are going to create a premium content site in the fantasy football industry, you need to add value or you will fail. Some sites provide great tools like Fantasy Labs. Others, data, airyards.com. 
or in-depth analytical original content like Rotoviz, or access to an individual's personal preferences, like for example, charging for player rankings. The last one's easy. The first three are really hard. That's why you don't see many sites doing it successfully. We at Player Profiler are doing three of the four successfully and changing the game. We are creating a master list of Dominator ratings and many, 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 many other stats for the public that were originally mentioned by other analysts. And many of those analysts, including those that created Dominator rating, enjoy playerprofiler.com and now go to playerprofiler.com to look up those stats that they originated. Knowing that, I'm pretty comfortable in our mission. And regarding the larger philosophical question, are the scales of measurement proprietary? You tell me. RotoUnderworld at gmail.com. Are the scales of measurement proprietary? Because that is the essential question. Because we can just go and get creative and circumvent label ownership and call yards created, yards generated. I'm indifferent, but is that a good use of our time? Is it necessary to go through that exercise? That's the question I'm posing to the audience. Am I an idea thief as Graham Barfield suggested? This is an important question because it's a challenge to playerprofiler.com's mission, what we're all about. And I'm looking around going, how the hell did we get here? <sighs> Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. And it was exasperating seeing even Matthew Barry chime in. Matthew Barry, in his infinite wisdom, let Graham know that what we're doing is a shame and it happens way too much in this industry, end quote. Except in the case of a metric called consistency rating. With consistency rating, Matthew Barry felt the need to flame Fantasy Guru and Graham Barfield. Why? Because they touted consistency rating as one of their premium metrics and Matthew Barry was quick to jump on that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember this. Matthew Berry made sure all of his followers knew, hundreds of thousands of them, that you shouldn't go to Fantasy Guru to find consistency rating but because ESPN has it available for free. So which is it? Is it better to make metrics available for free to the public or to treat them as proprietary entities? Matthew Berry needs to make up his mind. And remember, this is coming from a person who thinks he invented the top 100 list, <laughs> right? You can't rank your top 100 players in fantasy football without asking Matthew Barry's permission first. He invented the top 100 list. He'll tell you all about it. 2006, first top 100 list should have been the last top 100 list ever published on the internet. <laughs> so Matthew Barry thinks what we're doing is shameful, but I would guess that Matthew Barry is not familiar with our work. He doesn't follow me. And based on his analysis, not someone who often seeks out advanced metrics. So if I were to guess, I would guess that Matthew Barry has never visited our terms glossary. He's never seen how we clearly allocate credit to individuals who first wrote about a particular way of measuring performance on a football field. We cite Jonathan Bales in our hand size section, and I don't even know why. We just did it because there was an interesting article written by Jonathan Bales about hand size. If you went to our terms glossary, it would become apparent very quickly. Because in the BMI section of the terms glossary, we cite original work from the 19th century. BMI, yeah. It's not to cover our ass against the self-righteous Twitter drones. It's because those citations are interesting. It informs our audience and it's just the right thing to do. Matt Berry needs to stay in the shallow end of the stats pool from now on. 
you have anything to add, Nate? Yeah, I got something to say, Matt. I'm a hired gun. That's on Matt Kelly's speed dial. He just points at one and they get fried like the green mile. But this time it's a ridiculous debate, man. Mr. Barfield jumped the gun. What, you couldn't wait, Graham? Get it? Wait, Graham? Ah, fuck it. I am great, man. Look at Sonic Truth's yards created after complaint. Damn. But just like Matt said, Twitter was armed to kill. The haters showed up with torches just like Charlottesville. And that includes Matthew Barry in that top 100 list that he patented, trademarked, and copyrighted his blah 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 look at how soft the internet can get a proprietary statistic nobody owns that shit but then a fight starts that's just one-sided to cyclops because graham had to take his tears public like eye drops and all the while player profiler remains a bright spot despite a group of assholes that are trying to turn its lights off